0: It's good to see everybody today. Good morning. I only have five more times to preach to you before um, Restoration Road is planted in Wakefield, Mass, so I'm cherishing every uh, time I get to preach to you guys. Um, it's always a pri- privilege, and I love you guys. I want you to know that. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you so much that we can come here as your people just to worship your name and make much of you, Father. Today, as we try to learn what it means to be great, help us to fully understand that you are the greatest. You will always be the first, and we will always just be creation. You will always be the one who is exalted, Lord. But teach us by your grace how to be great in your eyes, how to redefine greatness, and to think of others' interest above ourselves, Lord, just like your son, Jesus. Although we know that we cannot atone for the Sins of this world, we can have a similar heart and respond to that gospel and serve others like your son has served us by giving his life for us. Amen. Everyone wants to be great, and that's okay. We have the Super Bowl today, and I've I've seen some of your Facebook posts. Who's the greatest? Are the Pats the greatest? God forbid, are the Giants the greatest? Um, Is Tom Brady, the greatest QB ever, it's okay to want to be great. I want you guys to aspire to be great. What's very important is that we have a biblical and healthy definition of what true greatness really is. And today, Jesus is going to teach us what true greatness is, and he's going to define it for us. And it's totally contrary to everything the world teaches us is great. The world teaches us the first is the greatest, the one who has the most social status, the most money, the most material wealth, who has the most education. And there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves, but Jesus teaches us something totally different. He said you must be the last of all. It doesn't matter what social status you are, as he showed with his life, as he was the last of all on the cross. It doesn't matter how much money you have if anything, he says, sacrifice more and give more for the sake of the kingdom of God and for his glory. It doesn't matter how, much, how many houses you own in Malibu. I said Kentucky over in Mal- Malden. I have no idea why. But it doesn't matter how much you own. That doesn't make you the greatest. The world tries to put us in a box and say that this is what greatness is. They would say the Messiah should come wearing a crown, have everyone kiss his ring, and demand allegiance. But Jesus came as a suffering servant, redefining what it meant to be Messiah. He came not bearing a cross, a crown, but a cross. He wasn't having people kiss his ring. He was washing his disciples' feet. He died and gave his life for many so that he could offer salvation to all who believed in his perfect work, in his person and work. He's redefining what greatness is. He's not saying, it's how many servants you have, it's saying, how many people you serve. The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. And this is huge. When I was younger, we'd have the who is the greatest night. Me and all my buddies would go out. We'd go into Boston. We'd go down Jillian's. And we'd have, we'd be working for the Triple Crown. You had to try to win ping pong, pool, and bowling. And if you won all three events, this meant you were great. So you, if you were the champion... It meant a guy had to come and stand under your feet. and Every guy you beat would take a picture and you'd stand like you were the greatest. And all your buddies would stand under your feet and you would stand on them and you have this look of pride like I'm the greatest. Jesus would look at that picture. He wouldn't say the guy on top is the greatest. He'd say the guy on the bottom is the greatest. He wouldn't look at greatness like we look at it. It's got to be the guy with the most power or the most fame or who is the most praised. He said no. The greatest among you will be the servant of all and the last of all. He have a servant's heart. He will not care about the praise of this world. He will care and have an audience of one. And the motive of his heart will be to glorify the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. And we have no greater example than the one that Jesus has set for us. Yes, he finished the work, but he also set a great example. He was the last of all on the cross. You've got to understand, they didn't crucify people who were elite in society. They crucified people who were robbers, people who were murderers, people who, were in your eyes and my eyes, would be considered the scum of the world. This is how the Son of God was crucified. If someone were observing it, they would say, man, he's the last of all. But that was the greatest act in the history of the world. He became nothing and took a form of a servant so that we could be reconciled to the Father to bring much glory to his name and find liberation in Christ. Amen? Let's start. We're going to st- start and work. Um, Mark chapter 9, we'll start in verse 30. It says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. We see this common theme working through what Jesus keeps saying to his disciples, don't say anything. Don't pe- tell people who I am. Don't tell people what you have seen. Once again, this is the opposite of what our society tells us to do. Where pastors, I mean, they tweet what their burritos look like when they're eating them. Jesus is telling them, don't tell anyone yet. It's not the time. And it's very important because it would take from, some time for them to truly understand what it meant for Jesus to be Messiah. Because they thought the Messiah should be a certain thing. He's telling them he's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be rise again. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be murdered. It would take time for them to work through all of this. So he doesn't go back to Galilee to resume a big public ministry. He goes back to Galilee so that he can teach his disciples in private because he has to teach them the special revelation so they can be powerful witnesses after his resurrection. And let's read verses 31 and 32. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. This is the second prophecy in Mark, predicting the passion of Jesus Christ, where he would suffer, where he would die, where he would rise again. It's very similar um, to the text in Mark 8. But there's one addition that's very important here, and he's sharing this with his disciples. He says he will be handed over and delivered into the hands of men. So in their culture, they understood when someone was delivered or handed over, whether it was a lawsuit or in Jewish martyrdom, it was the will of God. It was God's sovereign plan to allow that. So what he was saying to them, he was saying, yes, I'm going to be murdered. Yes, I'm going to suffer. Yes, I'm going to rise again. Yes, you're not going to fully understand, but God has ordained that I suffer. I have ordained. Now, understand this. Jesus didn't come to earth and decide to go to the cross. He didn't come to earth and say, man, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. If everyone treats me okay, I might hang out there a little bit. I might live to 45. His mission before time, the mission of the triune God, was that Jesus Christ would endure the cross for our shame, for our sin, to absorb the wrath that was ours to bear. That's always been the mission. That's always been the plan, that things would come together under Christ Jesus, all things under his person under his work so that we would worship him for all eternity for his mercy and his grace towards us. They would have found much comfort in that. Okay, Jesus, the Father has ordained that the Messiah should suffer, that he should be murdered. They would have said, okay, this is God's plan. These people aren't just going to do it. This is being allowed by God. They would have found peace in that. And so, In verse 32, it says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, just because they were puzzled and they didn't understand doesn't mean they didn't believe. I'm sure with many of us, there's things we're puzzled about when it comes to the Christian faith. I'm still trying to figure out. I believe Jesus is coming back. I'm not one of those left behind guys. But I'm still working through what that's going to look like. I mean, people can collect in Poland Springs since 1970. You know what I mean? There's things that we're working through even though we believe in with all our heart, they're working through what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. you got to understand, they've been with Jesus through his whole ministry. He's preached with authority that no other man has preached with. He's cast out demons. He's walked on water. They just came from a mountain where they heard the voice of God say, this is the Son of God, listen to him. I think they're figuring out that Jesus is pretty unique, that he's pretty powerful. He has revealed to him that he is the Messiah, But they're working through all the details because suffering wasn't on their agenda. What do you mean you're the Messiah and you're going to be murdered? Shouldn't we be putting you in the highest place with the most jewelry and everyone's worshiping and bowing down to you? But he says, no, i to be killed like a murderer and a thief. I'm going to suffer. They're going to reject me. They're working that. That would puzzle someone at that time if Jesus said that to them. Also, people don't rise from the dead every day. I don't know if you guys witnessed that. This is something, even though most Jewish people believed in the resurrection of the dead, they didn't believe that one man was going to rise and time would continue. So this would have blown their mind. They would have been puzzled and said, what is he talking about? I know he's the Messiah, but these things aren't lining up with my theology. These things aren't lining up with how I should believe the Messiah should be. And this will kind of get their conversation going on the road. And let's read verse 33 and 34. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So once again, I want you to understand that they believed he was Messiah, but they were working through it. And if he was Messiah, it meant that they were elite. Out of all our history, out of all people on earth, they're the 12 that made the team. I'd stop thinking I was something if I was following that rabbi, right? (laughs) I'm following the God man. What what rabbi are you following? I'm elite. I thought I was something when I made the Link Classical basketball team. They were back-to-back state championships. I came in as a sophomore and made the 12. I thought I was something. There was an argument in the locker room, who was the greatest God? Coach on my side. Let me tell you the truth. I thought I was something. Imagine, amplify that times a thousand. He's the Messiah, of all of Israel, the one who was prophesied about, the one who they're waiting for, and they made the team. They're one of his disciples. They must start to think that they are something, that they're elite, that they're awesome. Then they go on to say, not only are we awesome, who's the greatest among us? It's got to be Peter, because he's always out in the front. He's the mouthpiece. Everyone's scared to say anything. It's got to be John. He's always hanging out with Jesus. But Jesus, being the loving, patient, gracious Savior he is, allows them to have that conversation. He allows it to go on. And when they get back to the house, he asks them a question. Now, we understand every time Jesus asks his disciples a question, he's leading them to a new truth. And I want us to understand who's speaking here today. This isn't just some wise man. This isn't just some intelligent man. This isn't just some moral man. This is the son of God who's going to reveal hidden truth to us that's been concealed since the beginning of time, on how to be truly great. Because some of us might feel like, man, I missed my opportunity. I could have been great. I could have been an actor. I could have been a singer. I could have been an American Idol. These people crack me up, even though the show is unbelievable. When well, people don't make it, and they said, I could have been great. My parents would have thought I was something. That has nothing to do with greatness. You are in the perfect place to not waste your life, but to give your life something greater than yourself and something that is truly great. And that's in service of Jesus Christ. Understand that. There's no greater institution than the church. God has allowed you to give your life for something that truly matters and to be truly great in the eyes of God. So we asked them, and he says, what were you discussing on the way? And they got silent. It must have been embarrassing, but here is the Messiah, the God-man, who came from a poor neighborhood. He um, was a traveling homeless man. He wasn't formally educated. And he's humbled himself. And here they are in the presence of the greatest one, and they're arguing about who's the greatest. They must have felt foolish. It's kind of like me. I, I think I'm getting less competitive, but I used to have serious competitive problems. I played in the church softball league, and no one's a Christian in that league, including myself. Like, I'd show up at 3 o'clock, and I'd be stretching for an hour, like, win the MLB. There was, There's was really something wrong for me. So if we won a game... We'll be talking after a few of my buddies. You know how guys talk. Nothing gets by me. You understand? I'm like a wall. <laughs> and my wife, my wife uh, the women would kind of look at us like, are you guys kidding me right now? And we'd of be like, oh, man, it's pretty stupid, right? And you know that silence because we're embarrassed because we're talking who's the greatest. And it, It's so you know, foolish in the light of what truly matters. And so he asked them this question, and he's going to lead them to the truth. Notice that he didn't rebuke them and say, Don't want to be great. That's not what I want you to hear today. You should aspire to be great. But you need to know what true greatness is. And Jesus is going to teach us this right now. He's going to redirect their passion. I mean, I love, even Paul says, I run the race harder than anyone else. I mean, I watch hours and hours of MA fighting because I want to see who's the best. There's something in us that wants to be great. We're going to be cheering because we want our team to be the greatest today. Just use that passion, but redirect it in the right way for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And let's read on verse 35 and really listen to these words. And he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. Remember, the scriptures are always about Jesus, and he's preparing his disciples for what he's about to suffer. They would witness as his followers, Him pinned to a cross, beaten, unrecognizable. He had been flogged. He had been whipped. He was being mocked. They said he was the king of Jews. They just spit on him, crowds looking at him and mocking him. He was the last of all at that moment. And they had to understand that that was the plan and that was true greatness if they were going to be effective witnesses of God. Because he showed them what true greatness is right there. Even though he was God. Please understand this. He was God. He was not like you and me. He's God. He humbles himself and comes as a servant, servant, a suffering servant. He's tempted. He's beaten. He's rejected by his own creation and pinned to a cross. It doesn't get lower than that. It doesn't get lower than that. For his glory and our freedom, they would have to understand that that was true greatness, that that was the plan. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Not to be served, but to serve. It was the greatest service he could do for humanity. There was no greater act. Salvation is free to all who repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because the greatest servant died for us. You have to understand this too, because they, Jesus wasn't going to rise from the dead, ascend, and everyone was going to be like, put these guys at the top of the food chain when it comes to the world. They were going to be chased down. They were going to be crucified upside down. They would have to hide in houses. They would be on the run. They would be considered the lowest on this earth. People looked at the cross and said, that's foolish. Jesus was a donkey. That's what people said, the last of all, the least. But when we see the cross, we see true greatness. We see our freedom. We see our liberation. We see reconciliation to the Father. It's the greatest act that ever happened or will happen in history. That is true greatness. So going on, I didn't realize I was getting riled up. I'm supposed to be sick. You understand me? It says, and he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and take him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. He uses a real life example. Now, children didn't have high status socially in the ancient world. Aside from the normal affection from their family, and we know even our culture today, what do we say to each other? Don't talk to me like I'm a child. Do you dare talk to me like I'm a child? But Jesus is referring to us as children. And I've learned a few things about children in my short years of parenting. One, they're totally dependent on you. Like they can't do anything. My wife says to me, she says, and it always blows her away, man, it blows my mind that if we stop taking care of these kids, they ain't going to make it. Totally dependent. We are totally dependent on the Father. We can't take another breath unless he ordains it. We are creation. He is the creator. Second, children are constantly learning. We're going to be constantly learning what it means to be a follower and a child of God. He's constantly teaching us through his grace and sanctifying us. And we're working through that. And that's okay. And a child is always under someone else's authority. They can't go where they want. They can't just leave. They have to come in at a certain time. We're under authority and a representative of Jesus. We're not even representing ourselves. We're going as a representative of Jesus. And he says, you know what? If they accept you, that means they accept me. That means they accept my father. So not only is he saying, guys, don't think too highly of yourself. And I want to encourage you pastorally. In a culture where we feel entitled, and we think we're a lot greater than we are, and we think the world revolves us and not around, doesn't revolve around Jesus, it's important for us to understand you're not that special. We just lost 15 members when I said that. But really, there's peace in that too. And I'm telling you not so you feel less about it. There's peace to know that you're a child of God. There's a peace to know you're a worshiper and not the one being worshipped. There's a peace to know that you're the one being saved and not the savior. There's a peace to know that you're the created. Not the creator. There's peace in that. And there's joy in that. And there's so much joy living this life as a servant. No longer do we have to seek after the things of this world. Seek to be looked at like we're the greatest or have the most money or the most prestige or a certain title. We can say, man, I'm going to be the last of all. And that's pleasing to God. And that will bring glory to his name. You will find true joy in that. And you will live a life that is worth living. So I want you to aspire to be great. But service in itself is not great unless it's done in the name of Jesus. Because you can give your life. You can even be burned at the stake if you have not love. That's in response to the gospel. You're nothing. You're like a sounding brass or a clanging symbol. But service in, to respo- in response to what Jesus has done for us is great. So first of all, I want us to have a good portrait of what greatness is. Because we might have a visual in in our mind of what true greatness is, but I want you to really visualize the Scripture when I read to you of what true greatness really is. Let's turn to, we've already read it once, I want to read it one more time. Philippians 2, 4 through 11. And please feel the weight of this and understand the humility it took um, from our Savior to come and to take a form of a servant for us. So Philippians 2, verse 4, I'm going to read through verse 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a portrait of the greatest. You will never be number one. That throne is held for only one. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the greatest. We cannot suffer in an atoning way for the sins of the world. We cannot give up our lives the way Jesus did in a messianic way. But we can respond with a similar heart that he had and go into this world, go into the workplace, go in among our families and say, I'm not going to think about myself first. I'm going to think of others. I'm not going to think about them respecting me. I'm willing to be disrespected for the sake of Jesus that they might see the good news of the gospel. I'm willing to lay down my life for others. I'm willing to sacrifice comfort and money and prestige for the sake of others. Now, we know the God man's up here. We know Jesus is way up here. But I want to talk about mere men who I I, I think are great. And so I just want to share a few with you. And I want you guys to look at um, these guys, these men and women, as examples of servanthood and people we want to be like and aspire to be like. And since Matt Cruz isn't here today, it's a good time to praise him in front of everyone because it'd kill me if I did it while he was here. Now, Matt, when he comes into the room, is always one of the smartest guys in the room, if not the smartest. He never paid a dime for his education because he always got scholarships. He took the GMAT um, in the Boston area. He scored the highest in the history of the test when he took it. You learn those things at 3 o'clock in the morning at Toa Nippy. You understand me? This is a man who could be working for a huge, huge corporation and making hundreds of thousands of dollars, being praised as the elite, being recognized in a certain way, but instead he gives his life to a small church just north of Boston. Takes a modest income, a modest salary, even though he does the most work for this church, he does not make the most money. He allows other men to thrive around him. He's not threatened by them, but he allows them to thrive and he serves them so that they may serve the kingdom of God. He's the best servant pastor I've ever met, ever met in my life, and I aspire to be more like him. He's a great, great example of that. That is true greatness. Now I'm going to embarrass Dave Colburn right now. But I admire Dave's servant heart. Here's a guy, could have stayed in Colorado, would have been much more comfortable. Everything's more comfortable out of Boston, you've got to understand me. He could either pursue being a doctor, a very smart individual himself, or he could have got on the police force with Raj Podge. I finally got his name right. You understand, that was five mistakes in a row. But instead, he comes to Boston where it's not as easy to live. He's working two jobs. He's working a teaching job where... We all know they don't pay as much as you would like them to pay. And he was working at Starbucks, despising the shame, if you would, so that his wife can stay home with their children. He's working hard for his family. On top of that, he's here every week, doesn't get a dime, to lead the assimilation team. On top of that, every time there's a unique task where they post them on the city, we've got to put tables together, hang something, Dave is here helping out with that. The heart of a servant. That is true greatness. People are great people like my in-laws, who they watch my kids every Wednesday night. Now, they could go to Malibu, sit under palm trees, even though Jovec would never stop working. But they can go do that. They, they've done their responsibility. They've raised Nally. They could leave and go to their own place and not have to serve in any way. But they choose to serve and, and take our kids every Wednesday night so that we can have a date night so our family thrives. Whenever we need them, they're there to help watch our children. Joe Vec, anytime I call him to fix something, he's there, and he loves every moment of it because he wants to serve his family. The dishwasher exploded about two months ago. 3.30 in the morning, I called Joe Vec. He showed up with three slippers on. I don't know what his hair was doing. He went back to the Afro we had in the 70s. But he came, and he's sweeping the floor, and he's serving, and He's given his life. I mean, how many followers in laws you know will get up at 3.30 in the morning and come help you out? The heart of a servant. Of course, 4 o'clock comes around. He, wanted, he acted like we we're going to have breakfast. I said, Joe, it's 4 in the morning here, bro. I'm from the new school. But that's true greatness. I don't want you guys to waste your life seeking after things that are vain pursuits of greatness. True greatness is when you can serve each other and serve God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Not seeking to be praised by man, but knowing that God sees you and it pleases him. And you're more like his son. The kingdom of heaven will be people just who are more concerned with the other person than themselves. There's so much peace in that. There's so much strength in that. There's so much joy in that. Seven mile road. Aspire to be great. Lay down your life in service. Be the last of all and the servant of all. But never forget who the greatest is. Jesus Christ who gave his life for us in service to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your children who are here today, who by your grace you are calling, have called them to yourself, and you're teaching us, and we're just learning by your grace. Um, if we haven't been serv- servants or have a, had a servant's heart, I pray that we're not condemned about it. We repent. We put our faith in you. And we receive your grace and respond to your grace and live a life that um, serves and loves others to the glory of the Father. Um, Just teach us that as a church. We trust you to do that. Humble us. We love you. We thank you for the work you did as a servant. For coming like you did and suffering like you did and dying like you did and rising again for us and for the glory, for your glory. Amen.